back to Meeting Musos for episode number 10. This week's guest is Tom Carradine. Tom is a piano player and musical director who, after studying for a degree in biochemistry, moved into the world of musical theatre. In more recent years, he's had huge success with Carradine's Cockney sing-along, which embraces his love for all things vintage. During our conversation, we discuss how he got started in the music industry and how he's managed to find his own successful niche corner of the market. Enjoy the conversation. I owe you a a great deal of gratitude, to be honest, because it it was through... I I came to sit in with you at the Glasgow Kings in about 2010, I think, 2011. I remember it well. Yeah, and you were... Kids MD, I believe, on the Sound of Music tour at the time. I was. Um, And I was sort of just getting into the theatre world. I'd done a couple of little pro jobs, a couple of pantos and that sort of thing. Um, And was trying to get into the the touring circuit. And it was you who put me in touch with uh, David Steadman, who at the time was head of music for BKL. And he... The legend himself. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And he... um, through that connection, decided he wanted to meet me and, uh, you know, ended up offering me a job. So thank you for that. (laughs) My pleasure. Well, that's the way it works. I think if there's one thing that I've realised over these years and looking back now, um, in my old age, um, having kind of moved out of the theatre business, really, um, is the fact that it is all about connections. Because because this business is so much about relationships and building trust in the people that you're working with, um, it really does rely on relationships and finding the right person and right fit for the job. So um, I'm glad that, that that connection put you in contact with, with Stedman and, and yeah. At the time, um, I was getting a lot of that sort of advice from from people. You know, I was doing the thing of, of sitting in and trying to meet people and everyone I met was saying, you just have to get to know people, you have to meet people, you have to... Um, you know, make those connections. And ultimately, that is what led to to booking my first professional tour. So um, it's true. It, it's a, I don't know how you find it, but there's a, there's a definite sort of tightrope walk with it, isn't there? Because you have to, you have to make those connections without being the, the pushy guy who's getting on everyone's nerves. Oh, yeah, indeed. Well, it's funny, actually, again, having, having kind of had lots of people kind of sit in, and I've always been, again, I suppose, because I've been, um, I kind of came from an unusual background musically in not having a music, any music kind of formal music training. Um, and that kind of, with me getting my foot into the business and through, through, through smaller jobs and, and review and comedy and cabaret, um, and then making that leap into theatre, I really kind of felt it was my duty to kind of encourage people to come and sit in. Um, but you make a very interesting point that, that, and you kind of know when you meet someone who's coming to sit in with you, um, you can you kind of judge them in the first thirty seconds, um, as as whether they're going to fit in, whether they because many there are lots of guys out there and girls of course who who kind of talk the talk, but don't necessarily walk the walk, or equally who have frankly obnoxious personalities, yeah, that you just think you will never. Well, you might you might work in the business, but you will piss off a lot of people along the way. So, um, yeah, it's it's always fun to have people come and sit in because it keeps you on your toes as well as much as anything, I suppose. Um, and bizarrely, to kind of think also 
about the stuff that was important to me understanding when I started in the business as well. Things that I hadn't any idea about, um, which now I'd like to think I've, I'm quite v- well versed in, but things like in keyboard playing um, um, and yeah, volume controls and patch changes and all the kind of technology side, which um, uh, over the years I've kind of, as you do as a musical director, you build up an arsenal of those kind of skills. It's like, I know a bit about lighting. I know a bit about sound. I know a bit about, choreography as much as anything because you're in rehearsals and you see things happening and and that kind of especially as a musical director that is really important um in order to be a collaborative musician anyway or musical director to understand each of the departments in a in a small way i mean yeah i couldn't choreograph a show or i couldn't light <laughs> a show but you get an, but you get an awareness and an appreciation of the pressures that each of the departments work under and it kind of makes you realize that yeah when you're sitting in the pit on a Monday and you've arrived somewhere and you're being a bit of a diva saying, I can't see my score or the light's not right down here. Actually, the guys out the front have got bigger things to deal with um, than you moaning that you can't see your score. So kind of, yeah, grow some balls, get on with it. And at an appropriate time, have a word with the sound number two. And and there are ways of dealing with it rather than kind of having a hissy fit and a strop, as I've seen some MDs do in the past. Yeah, absolutely. Um it's so true that that uh, collaborative nature of, of theatre across the board, across all departments and just having that understanding of, especially when you're a head of department and, and seeing what other heads of departments, what pressures they're under and just knowing that, that what you need is not at the top of their list all the time. And it's keep it's it's being friends with people and and easing the way. I mean, I always remember um so on one of the tours I did, I shall, I shall mention any names. Um the the band were quite, quite the, the company manager said that the 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 wardrobe would wash the blacks once a week for. They would do a shirt wash twice a week. And they were and the band were quite insistent on doing this. Um and uh yeah, it's just you've got you've got to kind of be considerate about the other jobs and what everybody else is doing and being polite about that and 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 that's not a certainly the washing washing pit blacks wasn't part of their job it was a it was a kind of courtesy that they did and yeah it's a, a, a bottle of wine here or there a box of chocolates goes a long way um or not kind of going up and demanding on a on a monday evening um just before the show where are my blacks are they not ironed or moaning that someone's ironed the creases out of them they do they're doing you a favor they're not that's not part of their job so yeah it's all about i suppose yeah it's all about relationships and kind of especially as you said as as a head of department especially as musical director you've got to kind of keep an eye among the cast and the orchestra and yeah it's 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 like flying a plane isn't it yeah you've got to keep your eye on all of the all of the controls and the levels and hold on for dear life and make sure that you all get to the get to the um the the um, runway at the end together yeah absolutely and it's it's an interesting uh point because it's come up in a lot of these conversations that i've had that actually being amenable and being a nice guy um you know, you could be the best player in the world, but if you don't have the personality, it's unlikely you're going to go as far as someone who is much nicer about how they, you know, interact with other people. And, and you know, as long as you've got the skills to do the job and do it well, ultimately what's more important is who you are as a person really, isn't it? Absolutely. And I suppose more so as well on tour. I mean, the majority of the of the theatre work that I've done has been on tour, be that touring one-nighter shows or um, back in the day of, of working for, for Ken Wrights and for, for David Ian, um, kind of weekly touring around the country. So um, 
yeah, I suppose when you're when you're away, when you're when you're in an unknown t- uh, town or city for 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 a week or or even longer. I mean, had great runs in Edinburgh for Christmas with Joseph and the Amazing Technical Dreamcoat, and we had a lovely two Christmases. I did uh, the tour of Scrooge with for Kenwright, which was absolutely beautiful as assistant MD to Stuart Pedler, another legend um, from the from the Kenwright fraternity. Um, but yeah, those those. The most happiest moments, aside from the show, Scrooge is a beautiful show, um, and I really enjoyed working on it. But actually, my lasting memories of that are the camaraderie that we had amongst the orchestra and the crew. Yeah, um, it was like it was like a family coming together every Christmas. And I, as I said, I did two, but it was lovely to, um, yeah. Again, in the same within this business, where you you might go, you might work on one job and and make some great friends, and then you move on to something. We all move on to something else, and then. Again, maybe a few years down the line, you might bump into someone else on a on a one night gig or on another tour, and it's lovely to. It's I always liken it to old friends, those ones where you can kind of any those old friends that you have where you can pick up the phone and just start the conversation as if you've never left. There's no worry about the fact that you haven't spoken in two or three years, but the fact that um, yeah, you're in the moment and enjoying it and and having that kind of as I said, camaraderie and friendship. It's uh, yeah, I love it. I, I really, if that's one thing I now miss about what I, with what I do and where my kind of career has moved um, towards more kind of solo work, I do miss that. I miss that kind of um, the band room banter and the and the between show coffees or uh, yeah, it's uh, I have very very many fond memories. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I was actually chatting to. A friend who I worked with on on tour. We haven't worked together now for about seven, maybe eight years, um, and we just sort of got back in touch, just you know, chatting over text recently. And it was exactly like you've just said, you know, picking up from where you left off because of that shared experience. And um, you know, p- people who who come into this business and end up doing well and, and lasting on these jobs tend to have a lot in common and tend to be similar types of people. And that's sort of what makes it work. Absolutely. I always liken it to um to running away with a circus. <laughs> yeah. And I'm quite I'm quite glad that actually when I came into the business, I graduated in two thousand and four, um, and then kind of worked my way in and I think my first depths on Blood Brothers were in 2005 thankfully luckily the the next year that's my first kind of foot in the door is professional depping um but back then there was still a certain kind of old school air around especially touring musicians um and living out of a suitcase and the 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 kind of the horrendous dig stories the the mrs miggins kind of (laughs) back bedroom stories and things um and in some respects i also kind of feel like um Again, harking back to the fact that I didn't do a music degree. I didn't go to to college. Um, I did a biochemistry degree at Imperial College, as you do in London. Um, But the fact that there was a certain amount of, certainly my first big job, which was the tour of Joseph and Mason Technical Dreamcoat for Ken Wright as assistant musical director, um, was my first big job, aside from depping on Blood Brothers. Um, But there was still, still, it was a bit of like an apprenticeship because on that Joseph tour, you're playing 12 shows a week. Um, the assistant MD gets to conduct twice a week, which was amazing. I mean, to be thrown into that, um, 
quite soon in, I mean, only, only a month or so into the tour was I, was I up for a Wednesday matinee conducting the show, um, having only MD'd Amdram productions and things in the past or kind of um, youth theatre productions that I'd, I'd worked on when I was um, w- with an orchestra anyway, um, while I, when I'd, just after I'd graduated. Um, but yet yeah, to have that responsibility, but I, I really kind of felt there was, there was a, a kind of an apprenticeship kind of um growth to to my career in that respect um and yeah i'm thankful to gareth whedon who was the md on that at the time for really kind of supporting me through um and hey i made a lot of mistakes i'm not gonna say that i didn't um but thankfully making mistakes on a on a wet wednesday matinee in Malvern or um <laughs> something um uh, thankfully i don't think anyone noticed too much <laughs> yeah I didn't realise that that was your, your first gig because that was the job that ultimately came of our first encounter. Um, Indeed, and yeah, I, yeah. I ended up as assistant MD on the Joseph Tour. And I often describe, you know, I say to people that I it was perfect for a first job because I would I know I'll never work as hard in my life because yeah. it's that 12 show schedule it's weeklies and um there's a, there's a lot of responsibility there's the conducting there's looking after the the kids choir who the are kids different choir every week. as well um, but describing it as an apprenticeship is perfect that's exactly what it felt like it really it really was where I cut my teeth I suppose um as I said I mean I, I um the kind of the lead in from my biochemistry degree was a, was a very odd one. Um, in that, um, while I was at university, I'd always been passionate about music, um, and theater though back in the day, I can, I thought I was going to be an actor. And then I realized I couldn't act. (laughs) um, But I enjoyed musical theater and a a real passion for that when I was a kid. But um, when it came to university, I joined, one of the reasons why I moved to London was I'm a great musical theater fan and wanted to live in London, had wanted to live in London ever since I was tiny. And so um, did that dream come true, came to um, uh, study at Imperial College in South Kensington, Royal Albert Hall next door, yeah. walking distance. Um, I, my digs were in Pimlico, so I had walking distance into the West End. It was I, The amount of shows I spent my student grant on that, <laughs> those first few years was crazy. But um, it was an amazing, amazing experience and really fired me up while I was doing my degree to thinking, actually... I, I'd like to look at pursuing music in the future. And to cut a very long story short, having done musical theatre, um, the Musical Theatre Society or the Operatic Society at university, um, being in London, I got to meet um, MDs and keyboard players and and in the same way we talked earlier on about the recommendations and the kind of contacts you make, that was a real step for me. I was I was... There were a few bits and bobs. I got phone calls, some that I could do and some that I couldn't, but asking whether I could play for rehearsals for fringe shows and, and cabarets and, and things. Um, and actually, my first job out of college um, was news review at the Canal Cafe, which is, it kind of ties into why I got my first depping job. Um, and the story there is that Tom DeKaiser, who was the... Um, he who's most recently been that was the musical supervisor at, at Ken Wright's too. He back in the day he'd only just graduated and he was working on the similar circuit, um, and he was working as a as the musical director on News Review and it's a, a satirical comedy cabaret show. The the cast changes every six cast an MD and director change every six weeks. It's very seat of your pants. You're going for rehearsals kind of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then the show will open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday evenings, um, but. 
you'll be getting it's parody songs it's new writing it's, it's skits and sketches um and it's very seat of pants i mean the skills I learned on that job, transcribing stuff at speed, listening to a recording of a pop song I'd never heard of before that they wanted in the show that night because it was a parody of something that was hitting the news that day. That really kind of... Actually, it's a lot of the skills that I learned that, that I learned there, which went on to using Panto. Yeah. Those kind of things where you create things in the, in the rehearsal room quite quickly. Um, but yeah, Tom had worked on that on a previous show. Um, and actually, he came in to do the, a couple of shows after me and he asked uh, he got in touch and said um we're doing a, a sketch that you'd done a few a few months ago um any chance of the dots for it and i'd scribbled a like fag packet notation <laughs> yeah. out for it so i said there you go um and uh, we were kind of in touch then but but weren't weren't good mates um we just um we did a few other other bits and bobs together we'd i'd got him into play keyboards on a few youth theater shows i did and stuff but um it was uh, after that, that I got a complete call out of the blue from Tom DeKaiser um, in the in the great Ken Wright way, um, basically saying, um, "I'm assistant MD on the Blood Brothers tour up in Sun. Well, no, we were they were between somewhere somewhere in the Midlands, maybe Stoke and Sunderland. Um, our keys, uh, I want to say three player keys three player has fallen ill, can't be on the show next week. Um, would you come?" and play the show on Monday night. And it was only after, after later on, like in the, in the bar after doing it, um, <laughs> he said, the reason why I called you is you'd done news review. Yeah. The kind of fast pace, the kind of seat of pants-ness of news review. It was just the kind of person to, to do that job, to go in and sight read something and just just i mean keys three on blood brothers okay i'm not gonna put it out it's it's nothing it's nothing hard i think there's about 12 bars of two-handed stuff in it (laughs) it's a lot of flute it's a lot of background brass and things but it was great fun to do um but so i got the phone call from that on the i think it was the sun it must have been the sunday evening and again talking about contacts i am I was like, well, what do I do? Can I, I, I said, can I give you a ring back in half an hour? Can I just have a think about it, please? Um, and luckily I'd met um, in kind of a couple of years before uh, the wonderful, the late Kate Young, yeah. uh, Western musical director. Um, uh, she was the musical director on Joseph at the Palladium, um, very much involved in that. She's done a lot of stuff for Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, amazing, amazingly generous woman. And one of those people that I'd reached out to while I was at college, because I knew that she, her kind of career was um, the kind of, she, she did a lot of children's musical direction as well, which was something that I was interested in and thought might be a career path. So um, thankfully we'd kind of met and, and had some, I'd had some conduct, very basic conducting lessons over a few years. Um, and uh, so I rang Kate and in Kate's very blunt, very blunt Scottish way, she said, I'm not going to try and do an impression. <laughs> uh, she would she would roll in her grave. But she was basically, well, this is this is the opportunity. You either go go and do it, do a great job, and you all keep working, or you go and do it, you balls up and you will never work again. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna do it. I gave Tom DeKaiser a ring back. That's fine, I'm coming up. So I got on the train from London. I was living in London um with my partner at the time and my girlfriend at the time. And uh yeah, on the train to Newcastle listening to the cast any cast recording of blood brothers i mean i, I kind of knew it it's one of those shows that you kind of 
is part of musical theatre kind of history. And I knew it, I, I, I'd like to think I knew it quite well. Um, listening to that, I had, didn't have a, a reference recording or anything, just cast recordings listening yeah. to On The Way Up. Hadn't seen the dots at all. Um, got to um, Newcastle and Martin Hughes and Tom DeKaiser, the MD and assistant, picked me up from Newcastle Station. We drove to the theatre. Um, there was no power on, bizarrely. We hadn't, they hadn't, it was, we were still there before they put power on and things. So, um, yeah, I, we, 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 we sat over a coffee and talked through the pads. Mm. Um, I, I probably had a couple of hours at the keyboard, t- double keyboard layout, patch control, patch pedals and volume control. I'd never worked with before yeah. at all. Um, and I did the show and the rest is history. Yeah. Really. Amazing. Um, completely seat of pants, but I mean, yeah, it was, it was a great experience and actually reliving it. I could, my heart's racing thinking about it. Yeah. It's probably one of those things that, you know, at, at that stage when you're starting out, you, you know, you sort of go into all guns blazing, you know, yes, I can do this. The thought of doing that now, you know, it, it oh. terrifies me. Whereas when I was 20 or whatever, it would be fine. But r- these days getting that phone call, that's, that's the stuff of nightmares, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm glad I did. Yeah. It, I mean, it led to, led to um, a good few years, seven or eight years of, of pretty nonstop touring. I yeah. said, after, out, out of the back of that, it's the, it was the contacts. It was actually, it was sitting in uh, high, the Weatherspoons at Highgate, you know, the um, uh, underneath the upstairs at the gatehouse. Oh, the yeah. Gatehouse, but yeah. With Tom DeKaiser, um, a, like maybe six months after, after depping on that. Over a Sunday lunch and some mates of ours, some, some other musos um, who'd worked together on Bits and Bobs. And we were just having a Sunday lunch. And he had a phone call from David Steadman. And uh, Tom came off the phone. He was, and we were like, oh, Tom, what was that? He was like, oh, David's looking for a replacement assistant MD on the Joseph tour. Um, any ideas? <laughs> and there's me going, uh, maybe me, please. <laughs> He's like, of course, why not? <laughs> and again, that was another one. That was, that was a, I think it was... That was a bit of notice. I went and had an interview with um, David Steadman at, I mean, no pressure, backstage at the Lyric Theatre in on Shaftesbury Avenue when he was doing the cabaret there, um, in his dressing room, um, sight reading Journey to Egypt. Uh, um, yeah, it was crazy. And so I think that was midweek, and then I went up to join the tour the following week in Manchester. Wow. And again, joined joined the juggernaut of joy. Yeah. <laughs> And the rest, the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah. I had the same audition experience because he was conducting, ah, Love, okay. he was doing Love Never Dies at the time at the Adelphi. Okay. Um, and I actually went to, I think I watched the matinee and then was meeting him afterwards in his dressing room, played through some of the stuff from the show. Yep. And then he brought in a member of the cast who was auditioning for something else and wanted to go through some rep. And David asked me to sight read that as well. And then that, was offered the job at the end of it. it was bizarre. Um, but yeah, life-changing ultimately. Um, so I'd love to go back to your, so you studied biochemistry in I did indeed, uh, yes. Imperial College. Is that right? Yeah. And did you go into that planning to have a career in science or did you go into it to sort of get a degree and see what happened? When did, when did you decide that a music career was what you wanted to really pursue? Oh, it's one of those funny things. I did the stupid thing, uh, uh, kind of get planning for GCSEs and things, listening to the careers advice. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and listening to the careers advisor saying, no, you don't want to become an actor or musician because it's no, it's so, no, you'll be out of work um, the majority of the time. And no, it's really cutthroat and you don't want to be doing this. So um, go and you enjoy the science. So go and get a proper job. Go and <laughs> go and go and get a proper degree. And then you can, there's all these wonderful universities that have university societies. You can, you can, you can have a passion, you can have a hobby. Um, and that's what I always thought I'd do. Um, so I did two years at, at Imperial doing biochem. And then I did a year in industry um, in Slough, in a lab, <laughs> um, a biotech firm in Slough, which that was my eye-opener. Um, it just kind of proved that I wasn't, I wasn't made for working in a lab and being a research scientist. Um, I mean, it was great, uh, great fun. Um, the camaraderie in the, in the lab and the stuff was great. But I just, my heart really, really wasn't in it. And again, while I was... Uh, there I was spending most of my because I got paid to pay to for the year in industry a, a kind of um a small amount but I spent that on coming in and out of London to do rehearsals for shows that I was working on or um back in again back in the day when I was performing when I was doing Gilbert and Sullivan and um, musical theatre stuff on stage mm. um as I said until I realized I couldn't act <laughs> um so yeah it was it was during that year that the seeds were planted that I wanted something different. I'd always wanted to pursue music as a career. Um, and I suppose I'm just grateful that my, for my final year at Imperial, I had the option, actually. I could have gone back to finish my biochemistry or, thankfully, um, Imperial has an amazing business school, business school kind of management course. So um, in order to stop me flunking my complete degree... <laughs> Um, I went and did a joint honours um, management course for my final year. Um, and that was great because actually the amount of stuff I learned that year about marketing, promotion, um, accounting, mm. business management, finance, all of those kind of things, which actually is the kind of stuff as self-employed musicians we do every day because that's how that's we are we are one man bands yeah we we deal with our own gig diaries and our own bookings and our own um tax affairs and stuff so actually what i learned that year has been i mean i'm good at pub quizzes the biochemistry was great i'm great at pub quizzes (laughs) um science questions and kind of general science knowledge i suppose perhaps going going to university i always thought maybe that that the biochemistry would be a springboard to something else, be that science communication, possibly. Um, I mean, I don't think I'd ever be a children's TV presenter, but I kind of, I don't know, I really enjoyed kind of general science and science um, kind of communication, I suppose. Yeah. So I thought I thought that might have been a route. Um, and yeah, as I said, it was, it was while I was doing the placement that that was my the, the seed was was sown and then i have to say once i graduated in 2004 i worked for 6 months in a charity fundraising call center that was grim um <laughs> i mean typical kind of like actor between jobs i mean i actually i got i got quite good at it kind of the kind of performance skills the kind of script reading a script or kind of improvising around a script that was de- that was fairly straightforward um but it was, and yeah, they were they were offering me like a like if I wanted to go on full time and do a man do a kind of work my way up into management there, and I was like, you know what, no, yeah. Um, and then that year, 
I did my first pantomime in at the um, what is now no longer the Royal Victoria Halls in Southborough, near Tunbridge Wells, actually just down the road from where I live now in Tunbridge. Um, I did my first panto, semi-pro panto. Um, professional musical director, actually Toby Higgins was the musical director, right. uh, now West End uh, maestro extraordinaire. Um, he got me because I used to teach um, youth theatre um, things down in Tunbridge Wells. So our paths had crossed with that. And he asked whether I'd be interested in doing panto. So um, I did. It was a semi-pro gig. Um, a few kind of um, ex-pros on the cast and some amateurs. Uh, the music was great, great quality and great fun. Um, and that's where I kind of cut my teeth on panto. Um, and, oh, and I only just paid off my bar bill with the fee that I got at the end of the gig. It, sh- it must have been a good gig if I, yeah, the, my bar bill at the end of it was was quite significant. But it was an amazing experience. And that was the thing that said to me, having done Amdram and kind of bits of kind of fringe cabaret and things like that, that, that was what I wanted to do. It sounds a bit like my time on the Joseph tour. I think that just about covered the bar bill. Um, when you're on a 12 show schedule. sometimes sometimes yeah 12 show week it's the only way to get through yeah. <laughs> really interesting route into the industry um and uh, it, it's it, you know i'm tempted to say quite unique but actually the more people i'm talking to the, the more i'm discovering lots of other people who came in sort of you know very much away from the the uh, formal music education route? I think so. Yeah, lots of guys that I know, guys and girls um, out there, I know who've come that way. Um, And yeah, I mean, if if there's one thing that I think, if I'd gone to music college, I wouldn't be doing this now. I think it would have kind of beaten out Mm. any enjoyment. I think the great thing was that at the time, well, actually, I mean, I'm still, it's amazing. I get to, my hobby is my job. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as I'm sure we'll talk about later on, the, what I do now with my kind of solo act and, and sing-along material, actually, that is now, that is very much me. That is very much, um, it's just me. I, I get paid for a living to sing the songs I love and perform, which sometimes I have to pinch myself that, that I've been able to do that. Yeah. Um, I'm grateful for are grateful for all the help along the way that those kind of the recommendations or the, or the um, connections that I've made. Um, and yeah, it's, Oh God, I feel so old when I kind of look back and think about the way that it's that sliding doors thing about making decisions. Mm. Um, and if you take at that point, if I hadn't made that blood brothers decision, where would I be now? Or if equally, if I hadn't moved to London, if I'd gone to Birmingham or Southampton to study, my life would be a very different to how it is at the moment. So yeah, forever grateful. Fate has a funny way of working. Yeah. And I'm a kind of, I'm not religious, but I, I have a kind of a belief in fate that things, things happen for a reason and those kind of connections and things, things when you think something's not going well, well, as, um, as they say in the sound of music, isn't it? When, when one door closes, another, another window opens. Yeah. Um, which is so, so true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd love to talk about working as an assistant MD, because that's something that you and I have both done our fair share yeah. of for, for people who maybe don't know much about that job. Could you just, explain a little bit about your experience of it what what the job actually involves uh, the skills you need to do it well and also 
what makes it so different from being an MD? Because I don't know about you, but I feel like it's a very separate set of skills for for both jobs. I think so. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 a lot of that depends on, on what producer you're working for or what show. I mean, um, over the years I've worked, I mean, Joseph was great. I got to conduct the show twice a week when I was assistant. Um, but there's been other jobs, especially for Ken, right where I've done, where I've probably only conducted as, as an assistant MD, I've only conducted the show once in a run. Mm. Um, or for David Ian. Yeah. Conduct, I was, I was, um, uh, children's musical director and like cover conductor so I got to conduct one show um, Scrooge I only got to conduct once um, but yeah the skill set for an assistant MD it's funny I back in the day when I when I was working a lot as assistant MD I kind of prided myself in the fact that I was I'd like to think I was good at it because for me it's about second guessing everything and being one step ahead of where everybody is in the room so be that playing for a dance rehearsal. So the MD will be off um, rehearsing the, the, the principles or, the, or the, the stars or the names or off in another room creating something amazing. Um, and you're playing for a dance rehearsal of a, perhaps a new dance number or a, um, a number that's being restaged. And I think I, I, I played a lot for ballet classes when I was just out of college and making a bit of money by playing for ballet classes, which was a real baptism by fire, but great fun to do. And if there's one thing that I kind of learned through that was just being aware of what's going on. It's not only about reading the notes on the page and being precise for kind of metronome markings or, or transitions. Um, it's about being aware of what's going on. So when the choreographer would be setting something, I'd be scribbling manically in my chart to say, oh, this is the this is the jump section or this is the, there's an accent on here that they're putting with the kicks. Because nine times out of 10 as an assistant MD, when you're sat in that rehearsal or you're on a staging call or something and you're playing and the choreographer goes, oh, we'll go from the kick section or we'll go from, we'll go from the, from the, the duets or the, or whatever. Those kind of, um, kind of way markers and place markers because, as we know, choreographers and dancers don't always speak in our language. Yeah. <laughs> um, talking about counts of eight and things like that. That was a real kind of good grounding for me playing for ballet classes and dance classes to, to be aware of that. So I kind of prided myself in being one step ahead there, making sure I'd made notes in the score because then it's for you to debrief to the MD over a coffee afterwards. Oh, well, actually they, they want to add extra bars there or can we just confirm whether they want an extra thing there or... Um, so there's that um, quite a lot, especially a, t- a lot of my time at Kenwrights. There was a lot of um, changes to orchestrations and arrangements as well on the road. So I'd be using my Sibelius skills, tweaking band parts or charts, um, and so there's there's that side of it. There's also the kind of liaising with the band and kind of keeping them because obviously the, the, the as an MD you've got so much stuff going on. Um, and I kind of prided myself again as a, an assistant, making sure that those things that the MD might have to deal with were already sorted. So yeah. getting to the venue early on a sound check day, making sure all the charts are out, making sure that the band box is where everybody knows where it is or silly little things. Um, I quite like a t- cup of tea or coffee, quite like a cup of tea. It's making sure the kettle's set up. So when the band arrive, the kettle's there yeah. um, or bringing the, getting the milk in. It's sad, but it's, it's silly little things that, that that kind of thought for or if you're in a rehearsal room just checking the 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 md sorted for something for lunch because as you know very often you end up working through lunch or um and those kind of yeah 
I think it's just down to second guessing. Yeah. Trying to smooth the way for the MD so that they can they can do their thing. Um, and you support them. And very often that's sitting in vocal rehearsals, if they're taking a vocal rehearsal, making notes of when a voicing changes or that so-and-so, oh, actually, yeah, so-and-so's moving from the tenor ones to the baritones for this section, um, which goes flies by in just a second in a rehearsal. But then when the MD comes back later on and says, well, why is that not... It, you, you, that's knowledge that you have there and you can kind of provide. Um, and I think that's that was for me... Um, and equally, in the in the times that I've worked as a as a musical director with an assistant, um, I always love it when that happens when the assistant is on it and um, not on the phone or kind of reading a newspaper in rehearsals. It's it's about because it's a collaborative art form, isn't it? Yeah. It's um, and and equally, uh, I suppose it depends on the MD. Um, I'd like to think. Uh, for the assistants I've worked with, that there's a, that there's a give and take. That there's a that there is an opportunity for them to say, well, oh, actually, is that maybe a note check on something? Or I don't think the volumes and things that are right there. Um, because, yeah, it's a collaborative thing. It's not it's not a dictatorship. Yeah. Um, as much as there are some MDs that think it is. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's and it's giving the assistants an opportunity to be able to voice those, those things and be part of it, be part of that creative process. Because, um, yeah, someday they're going to be MDs and... And doing it too. Yeah, and it's it's all about assisting the MD in in all aspects of the job. It's not just about mm. you know being keys to and conducting the show. It's yeah. as you say, it's about supporting the MD and, and always thinking ahead without ever stepping on their toes, not taking any of their responsibility. There's there's that yeah, to absolutely. to be aware of. But um, yeah, just I guess trying to make their uh, allowing them to do their job and and for all the little bits and pieces to be to be taken care of so that they don't have to stress about it absolutely um yeah i'm glad you said all that because that's you've succinctly summed up exactly how i think of the job so um oh, I'm, I'm glad we agree yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely brilliant. yeah um so you've you've touched on it already but you are now doing your own cabaret work and um very successfully for a number of years now have been running caradine's cockney sing-along um and you know from we've we've not met in person for a decade i suppose but yeah. um keeping up with you on social media and all that sort of thing you have a very keen interest in all things vintage um and that extends to music as well can you just take us back to where that started and where where it comes from oh god it's fu- it's funny i think the original the, the love of vintage music has been something that i've had a passion for for years um, I think that kind of harks back to when I was a kid and um, I kind of cut my performing teeth um, in uh, scout gang shows, Coventry scout gang show. So kind of a, a scout variety show, basically, um, that was performed every year, at, well, still is performed every year at the Belgrade Theatre in Coventry. Um, and I started as a cub. I was eight when I joined. Um, and through that kind of found a love for very often in the big production numbers very kind of old style variety show there'd be huge production numbers and medleys um of wartime songs or music hall songs or more modern musical theater things we used to do kind of current current things as well um which that really gave me uh the kind of the starting for that love of that kind of music um and also that kind of music performed in that in that kind of presentation style as well um 
I always vividly remember the orchestra that they used for Coventry Scout Gang Show. It was like a small kind of dance band or kind of big band setup. Um, rhythm section, three, uh, four saxes, three trumpets, two trombones. Eventually it got down to... Uh, two trumpets, one trombone, and, and three saxes, but very much kind of British dance band style. Yeah, um, and the the way the arrangements and orchestrations were written by the fantastic uh, musical directors for that and and um, arrangers were. Uh, it's it just as soon as I hear a hear a tune played in that kind of style, I, I'm six again. I'm watching <laughs> Gang Show or, or I'm on stage singing along, um, and so that was my kind. Of, and actually, that was the first time I ever properly conducted. I got a ch- I, I I did an arrangement one year because they knew that I was interested in music, and I played for a few rehearsals for the Cub scene when I was a, when I was a teenager, um, and I did some arrangements. They they. Um, Ian Coates and Pam Tanzi, the musical directors at the time, invited me to... to they were like, well, you, you're doing music at GCC, you enjoy this kind of thing. Um, um, they were like, well, do you want to do, do an arrangement? Do you want to... So I did. And I, I used to conduct it every show. The one show, well, the one song in the show that I would get up onto the podium and conduct <laughs> um, with a bunch of... I mean, the, mus- the musicians were ancient, um, all kind of old school um, big band players. But it was an amazing experience. Um, and yeah, first time on a stick in a theatre. And it's, yeah, so that was amazing. And then after that, I suppose it was musical theatre for me all the way. Um, and as I came to the kind of vintage thing, um, I think well, it's hard to know what came first, my love of vintage music or my love of vintage dress and attire. Um I always kind of say it's probably a rebellion against wearing black so much. Yeah. yeah. For like eight or nine years, when I was working on shows, I would get, especially on tour, I would get up in the morning, put on blacks, do do whatever for the day, go to the theatre, do the show, go for a drink in black, go home, or go, go back to the digs, get up the next morning, especially on Joseph, you just wear blacks all day. I wouldn't change. Yeah, because there's, so, there's probably um, a show happening sometime in the next 30 minutes, so... <laughs> Absolutely. You've got to be, you've got to be ready. So, um, I think my love, well, I grew, I started growing the moustache, my handlebar moustache. Um, actually before I did the Sound of Music tour, I grew it while I was on the Scrooge tour. It came out of a Movember thing on the Scrooge tour. A few of us grew them. And, um, the funny thing about that was I had an interview for, um, the Sound of Music tour children's musical director job that was to be taking over from the, again, legendary Laura Bangay, yeah. children's musical director and musical director to the stars. I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, what, what shoes to, to, to fill when Laura decided she wasn't going to continue with The Sound of Music. So, but I had the moustache. I had this very kind of creepy moustache, kind of Tom Selleck thing, <laughs> when I had my interview with Stephen Hill for that job. And I had to say in the interview, children's musical director job, I was like, I look a bit shifty. So I said, <laughs> it's fine. It's coming off at the... Because um, I had a New Year's Eve gig with a 1920s, 30s band I was playing with. I was like, okay, I'm growing it for New Year's Eve for, to, for, for the 1920s band. It's coming off after that. So I shaved it off um, just before I started the Sound of Music tour. And I regretted it. Because I was like, I love it. I want to grow it again. So uh, dial in a couple of years later, and actually nine, nine years ago, just before nine years ago, when my um, son, son Andrew was born, um, that I decided to grow it again. And that kind of came with my 
conscious decision to take a step back from touring theatre um, to more regional productions, which I've, I've worked on a few things in Tunbridge Wells, local to me, and where I'm based now in Tunbridge. Um, and Depping, I was Depping on uh, Keys 2 on Les Mis in town as well at the time. So, and I'd done a few little stints. I did a, a six, um, not six, uh, a two month stint of The Tailor Made Man, um, a musical at the Arts Theatre. Um, and kind of career wise, actually, that was, that was a real thing for me. That was the first time I'd done a, a kind of town job. Um, a chair in town for two months and I have to say it put me off it completely it became it became an office job because I was staying at home and I was doing the commute in on the train um I it was kind of and also I wasn't on stage the rest of the band were on stage it was a it was a 1920s kind of Hollywood story um pre-code Hollywood um and so, but the key, I was just playing keyboards, strings and added extra bits and bobs. So I was in a lighting gantry up on the kind of above the stage left. Um, and yeah, I would go in, I would go to the band room before the show and say hello to everyone. But during the show, I was up in a, in the box out the way above the stage manager. And at the end of the show, while every, I could switch my computer off with main stage on, I could switch that off during the last number because the rest of it was in the keyboard, the strings for the final playout. And as soon as the downbeat went at the end of the show, the, the laptop went, closed down, keyboard off. I walked out of the door to my left into the circle and out, I was out of the theatre before the audience were <laughs> um, and I was on a train home. So it really kind of... Yeah, it felt like an office job, just going into the office to do the show. Um, I mean, I enjoyed doing it. I was and, and great fun. The guys on it were, were loved were, were loved to work with. But it kind of opened my eyes to that kind of uh, uh, West End chair. Wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted a bit of variety. I wanted the ability, which I'd loved before doing the kind of touring one nighter shows, um, to either see. But I didn't want to tour. That's the thing. So it was just I wanted a bit of variety. Mm. And it was around that time that I started working, playing on the London cabaret scene and a vintage scene there's a lot of crossover there um accompanying acts but again always as an accompanist always as a someone in the background playing the piano um a few kind of little featured moments i did some gigs at the cafe de paris and the cafe royal with uh the black cat cabaret which was lovely and you're very much made to feel part as a as a pianist of that there were some silent movie things cartoon things that i had to accompany which was lovely it was great fun to do um but it was through that that I was like, okay, I, I really quite like this. And, and the music was right in my street. It was exactly what I loved. Um, Victorian music hall and kind of popular songs of the 20s and 30s. Um, and the reason why the sing-along came about was I was playing with this 1920s band, Champagne Charlie and the Bubbly Boys, who I'd played with for a few years, um, and that I had initially grown the moustache for and then shaved off. <laughs> um, and it was through that that we ended up playing um, a vintage music festival in Bedford called Twinwood. It's on the um, airfield where Glenn Miller took his last flight from. Right. Um, so it's it was a kind of originally a 1940s festival, but it's kind of spread both ways now. It's kind of vintage festival. So 20s, 30s music as well as 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, but playing there, in, there's, a, there's a little old, battered old um, Nissan hut that they have a kind of pub in the Nag's Head. Um, and there's a battered old piano. And it was after the first night of the festival that I was in there with one of the acts I was accompanying, Dusty Limits, a cabaret performer from the London scene. Um 
And he said, oh, go on, you know, play some of those old, play some of the old songs. And I was like, on that piano? And I mean, you, I, I haven't played a worse piano in the world. Like half the keys weren't working. As soon as I hit it, bugs and things were coming out of the top of it. But, and it was completely out of tune. But I, I, bizarrely, as you, as you, uh, I'm sure Mark aware, when someone's at a party and they start playing the piano, it kind of galvanizes a crowd. Mm. Oh, what's going on here then? So people started gathering around and shouting requests for old songs I knew. So things like Knees Up Mother Brown and Roll Out the Barrel and all my old man said, follow the van. I mean, hackneyed classics that I adore, <laughs> but people were singing along. And I was like, brilliant. That was, and the, the pints of cider kept coming on the top of the piano and I didn't stop. <laughs> it, was, it got to kind of one o'clock in the morning and I was like, I think I've brought to go to bed now. And the next night after the gig, after playing for Dusty Limits and Champagne Charlie and the Bubbly Boys, um... We were in the pub. We went for, a, for went for a pint of cider after the gig, and there were people in the in the in the nags head saying, "Oh, you're doing the sing along again tonight." I was like, kind of wasn't planning it, but hey, why not? Go on. <laughs> so we did that, and then the next year when we went back, then I didn't do anything kind of sing along between then. The next year when we went back, people were there, and we saw them, and they were like, "Oh, are you doing the sing along again this year?" So it was it was fate had a funny way of working. Yeah. And it was through that that I kind of found my niche mm. and developed that. And it was very funny. I mean, again, if, you, if you'd if you asked me, I've been doing it for six years now. If you'd said to me seven years ago that I would now make a living as a kind of solo performer, that I would be confidently leading a room, do, I, I would never have uh, kind of, because I'd always accompanied, I would, I'd always accompanied a cabaret host or a singer or a burlesque or... Um, on anything on the cabaret circuit i was never i was never it was never about me i was always in the in the in the kind of background in the in the in the shadows um yeah if you'd said that i would then be 7 years later hosting sing alongs at wilton's music hall of all places yeah. the 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 oldest surviving grand music hall in the world 300 people singing along and then me chatting to them and explaining to them about the stories of the songs and the history and the people who performed them, um, I would have said, nah, no chance. Um, but it's just funny that those kind of, the paths align. My love of um, vintage music, my love of, my burgeoning love of vintage dress, which came out of being involved on the vintage scene and wearing kind of vintage clothes for gigs, and I was like, oh, you know what? I quite, I quite enjoy wearing these. It's like I'm wearing, a, I'm wearing a tie at the moment. It's rare for me to go out of the house without a tie on. Um, but normally it's, yeah, high starched Edwardian collars or Victorian starched collars with cravats. And yeah, my wardrobe now is twice the size of my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but I just love the fact that, that I found my niche and everything has kind of come together in this kind of perfect storm. And that I make a living, as I said before, I make a living out of sharing my love of these songs and my passion for these songs and stories about them with people. And, um, and thankfully, I've still managed to do that through, through COVID, through the pandemic, with live streaming on Facebook every week in lieu of my regular Thursday night residency that I had in London at Mr. Fogg's Tavern. Right. So, but the great thing about that is we, I've got a, an audience from around the world, people tuning in that might have seen me once at Fogg's um, and would have never seen me live again, but now they can tune in from Canada or the States or the Far East or Australia um, or Europe, lots of people from Europe and the UK, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, 
it's it's been amazing that I've been able to continue doing that. And I just hope that it's not too long before we can get back to crowded theatres, we can get back to crowded pits, we can get back to making live music together. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I think for me, the sing-along thing is going to be one of the last things. It's like choir singing, choral singing, um, especially kind of amateur choral singing. I've done a lot of, I've played for lots of kind of community choirs and, and things over the years. Um, and to see that, well, even with the sing-along, the... the the amazing feelings that, that that singing together as a group creates, the endorphins that it creates and floods your body with, um, the memories the, and the amazing power of music for dementia, of course, mm-hmm. um, and for old people. I, I play in care homes as often as I can as well. Um, and that's an amazing gift to be able to do that and share music that that triggers so many memories for people um so yeah again just pinch myself that i'm that i'm making a living and have done for the last six years sharing the music that i love yeah and so you said that you um it it was a a deliberate decision to move away from touring and and to become you know more freelance in some capacity was that down to starting a family and just wanting to be in one place and it was indeed control. my 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 wife and I were like ships that pass in the night. Yeah, um, especially I mean the kind of seven or eight years that I was on the road, uh, be that with kind of weekly touring or two weekly touring or the kind of one nighters. Mm. We we really were like ships that pass in the night, and um, yeah, it was a conscious decision to to we were in London at the time, but then we wanted to look at settling down and and moving out to to Tunbridge closer to. Faye's parents and my parents are in Coventry and um, as much as I love Coventry I wouldn't I wouldn't move back there um just because Tunbridge is great it's 45 minutes into Charing Cross so I could go and dep on Les Mis or I could go and in and play for rehearsals or do cabaret bits and bobs so it's been great but yeah the, the, the conscious decision about starting a family and um yeah. And actually, if there's one thing I've kind of learned about the over the pandemic as well is the fact that actually it's been a great opportunity to reassess where I am and what I'm doing. And that actually uh, I'm kind of in a position now where I'd like to be able to pick and choose what gigs I do and that I don't have to be schlepping 500 miles to push my... P- and of course, I use a real acoustic piano. Yeah, I was going to ask piano you that in- because you're probably the only pianist I know who actually drags his own piano around the country. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word. There are there are a few buskers. There's a busker in Brighton who uses a real piano. I think there's a guy up in Oxford who does too. But um, doing the sing along piano, I'm the only sing along pianist um, who who yeah lugs a real acoustic piano, 88 keys out of the back of my van. <laughs> um, but it's an amazing spectacle when I arrive at a venue, um, and and very often people go, oh, that's a, that's a keyboard in there, is it? It's just a shell and it's got a key. No, it's a real. <laughs> It's a real piano. She's um she's feeling a little um sorry for herself at the moment because she's the lack of gigs. Actually, because people, people say, does she go out of tune quite quite quickly? Actually, when I was gigging like most days or doing shows at Brick Lane Music Hall in the daytime where I was working for I worked for kind of four or five years, um to then go and do a pub gig in London on an evening, because I was gigging like four or five nights a week, she was she was pretty much pretty pretty good in tune and she she kept a good um um she didn't get often if i well as i've left her for for quite a long while now um the the kind of damp in the van and the the humidity and stuff um she's her some of the keys are kind of swelling a bit and mm. she's being a bit a bit um uh 
she's she's a, she's a she's a timid creature and she needs she needs looking after. <laughs> so I, I had I had a uh, an outdoor gig on someone's doorstep a few months ago. Um, so I had to bring her in the house for a few days just to kind of settle down and warm up. Yeah. Um. Yeah. She could do with a tune. I've got a tame piano tuner out in South End. Um, that I drive drive her up to, and they tune her. But um, yeah, it's great. And but yeah, that thing about not, yeah, kind of picking and choosing what I want to do. I don't have to drive four hundred miles, push my piano out, and then be packing up and then driving back. Mm. God knows when. So um, yeah, I think the, the the pandemic has has had benefits, and one of those has been that, and also being at home. Yeah, spending some time at home, despite that kind of focusing on being at home and working from home. Um, it's, yeah, still busy. It was still busy gigging. So, um, yeah, it's been nice to be at home. It's been very unusual. Yeah, yeah. Uh, likewise, it's that's that's probably the best thing that's come out of it for me is actually just having this time to live in my own house for a while. Mm. Um, so are you, are you making your living now exclusively from your sing-alongs or are you, you know, pandemic aside... Yep. Are you are you still freelancing? Are you still doing other bits and pieces as well, or is it mainly yeah, still still yeah still freelancing? Um, though the majority of it, the, the kind of split has now become very much fifty fifty with the sing along and working. At, I've been resident musical director at Brick Lane Music Hall. All oh, right, um, in the east. Well, it's not in Brick Lane. Confusingly, it's in Silvertown. It was originally in Brick Lane way back when, kind of thirty years ago, but it moved to uh, North Woolwich uh, by Tate and Lyle Factory in Silvertown. Um, oh, I think about 10 years ago. And I'd be working there as their musical resident musical director. Um, and that's been great because they do kind of matinee shows for coach party crowds who come in from all over the Southeast um, for a, 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 be a music hall show. So again, my passion for music hall and Victoria Music Hall, but also other production shows. They have a wartime show and a St. George's show and an Irish show. Um, again, the, the kind of the, again, that's lots of skills, panto skills that I've gained over the years, writing charts on the back of a fag packet, being prepared to improvise, being prepared to uh, putting together medleys and rehearsing in a very short space of time. I mean, most of the shows, even the big shows at Brick Lane, will only rehearse for two or three days. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really fast paced. I don't have an, I don't, um, well, it's, it's a three piece band. It's, it's two keyboards and drums. Um, so there's always keyboard programming to do and or arrangements to write or fix. Um, so that's great fun. But thankfully, that's been always pretty much during the day. They, they might do a Saturday evening gig w- with each of the runs, but um, it has allowed me, thankfully, to be able to finish there at five o'clock and then drive my van into London um, and go and do pub gigs or drive out to Essex and do a family party or a wedding. Um, yeah, Brick Lane's been great, great fun. And um, one, of the, uh, one of the only surviving what is, uh, uh, kind of re- repertory... Um, music hall companies based in one venue. There are, I mean, there are some fantastic people like the Players Theatre um, and the Leeds City Varieties, wonderful music halls and companies that produce music hall shows. But um, yeah, Brick Lane is one special place and it's been great to be there. And actually that I took over from the wonderful Kate Young. I was Kate oh, Young's right. assistant wow. um, for two years before she took a step back and I took over. So again, it's, it was so lovely Although Kate um, sadly passed away last year, um, I owe so much of my career to Kate um, and those initial chats when I was a, a biochemistry student going, uh, 
can I do music as a career, even though I haven't done a music degree? Um, and standing in her flat in Neesden, and she put on the CD of Joseph and was like, go on, conduct it then. You want to be a conductor? Show me, con- conduct it for me. And I did. And she was like, okay, we've got something here. Have you ever had any training? No. Well, she's like, okay, you've got something. Well, you need to change this and you need to change that. But you've got something. Um, and then obviously Kate saying, Blood Brothers, if you do it and do a great job, you'll work. If you don't, then... Bye-bye. Um, Kate's great advice to me about getting an accountant. First thing to do, she said, as soon as you, as soon as you graduate and you start professional work, get an accountant. Yeah. Um, and one of the, the greatest tips that she ever gave me, really. Um, and then eventually, uh, further down the line, coming to, to, again, reacquaint myself with Kate and, and get back in contact. When actually it was through Facebook, she she posted saying um, needs looking for a kind of a regular deputy or a kind of an associate at Brick Lane at, the, at that time it was just piano and drums. Um, she was like, I'm looking for an assistant or a kind of an associate to come in potentially to 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 dep some shows out. Um, and I gave her a ring and she was like, Oh come on Tom, you don't want to do this, do you? And I was like, Yeah, why not? It <laughs> would fit in perfectly with where I live and getting in and the music I love. Um, and then the funny thing was I turned up for a, a kind of sit-in to see the show and the producer, um, Vincent Hayes, uh, met me after the show and he was like, so, okay, when can you start? I was like, uh, what do you mean? He was like, well, you play the keyboard, yeah? So we've got another keyboard at the back. Can we put two keyboards in the pit and then have the drums as well? Could you? So, uh, okay, you've created a job for me. Thank you. So... Um, that was on a Kurtzvall keyboard that I'd only had a little bit of, of um, experience programming in the past, um, thrown in at the deep end. Um, but yeah, the rest is history. And uh, until we were closed down because of the pandemic a year ago, um, yeah, regular shows at Brick Lane, um, as well as the sing-along stuff. So um, I, I, I haven't done any of the depping for a long while now. I'm still very much in contact with with guys on the road. And um, I'm uh, for a long while, I was a Musicians' Union rep um, right. or part of the Theatre Section Committee. And I'm still a health and safety rep for the MU, but I took a step back from the, the Theatre Section Committee. To be honest, just because I don't work really under the, the, the agreement and the, the Theatre mm. Managers Association agreement anymore. Um, so, oh, sorry, the UK Theatre Agreement. Yeah. I don't work under that anymore. So, um, and there are, there are younger, younger musicians and, and stuff to give them space to, to have a voice. But um, yeah, uh, like I said, I'm a passionate union man. I think it's an important thing to, to be part of. And um, yeah, still keep my hand in as a, as a roving health and safety rep when I get a chance. Great. I want to just begin to tie things up. I think it'd be interesting just to get your view on you know, the the benefits and, and how important you, you know, with the hindsight that you now have of building a sort of niche business for yourself as a self-employed freelance musician in this day and age. I think finding your niche is so, so important. Um, and uh, I suppose, again, the, the hindsight thing's great and I'm, I'm glad that I'm here now. But but over the years, I've done lots of different things. I've, I've done... A, uh, assistant musical director jobs i've done children's musical director jobs i've done um rehearsal pianist jobs um and there are lots of guys out there and children's musical director jobs and, and there's, i've done lots of jobs that there are guys out there who are who, uh, that is their niche that is what they do there are some great fantastic keys one players who wouldn't touch 
MDing or assistant MDing with a barge pole, but they love being keys one straight up there, so high in the mix that that they just they're great pianists and they love it. Um, and arrangers, I've had some great um, experiences doing arrangements and music typesetting and copying and things over the years, um, which I've had fun doing. But again, not kind of they're not really my niche again um but i think the only way you can come to to finding that is by doing everything mm. is taking uh, taking those opportunities um and trying things out um and feeling where you feel most comfortable and where your passion really really lies so um yes hindsight's a great thing and it's so nice now to look back to find that i but it's taken me so long to find myself that sounds really that sounds really wanky and um really kind of Oh, um, uh, Instagram philosophy, doesn't it? Like kind of <laughs> yeah. finding yourself. Yeah. Um, but it took me so... Uh, it's one of those things. It took me so long to find myself and my own personality and who I was through my dress sense and not trying to be someone that I'm not. That actually, yeah, it took me... It equally took me time to find where musically I felt that I could bring most value and... Yeah, that my I'm I'm never going to be I'm never going to be a concert pianist. I never was. I've I gave up classical piano at grade five. Um, I'm a self-taught kind of musical theatre player. I taught myself chords when I was kind of twelve, thirteen, um, and so. But equally, I'm not a jazzer. I'm not a I'm not a jazz musician. Although I can work my way around a jazz chart, and I've played for some singers, some jazz singers in cabaret settings, and. I still feel petrified when I'm playing a jazz solo, but I can get I can get around it. But I've done that, and I know that's not my thing. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just grateful that I've found where I do feel comfortable. And yeah, I may not be the world's greatest pianist, but I and my technique is probably absolutely shot. But you give me a battered old piano in a pub. And I know I can galvanise it. No matter how... Well, okay, I'm putting it on the line now, aren't I? No matter how hard the crowd, I can galvanise that. Um, and it's funny, that, bizarrely, those kind of people skills and things you learn from being an assistant MD or an MD even, for kind of just being aware of people and relationships and reading the room. Um, people always say it looks effortless when I'm playing and I'm, and I'm interacting with a large crowd, but... It's like being a swan. The top half is beautiful and elegant and I'm going and I'm singing and I'm, I'm playing and I'm shouting out to people and I'm encouraging people along. But underneath, the, the legs are going because I'm thinking about, okay, well, that, that group down the far end, they don't know this. They're, they're not interested. But So what is the next song that I can sing that will get them in? Right. Okay, if I do an ABBA medley, this young crowd over here will do it. If it's a really tough business crowd, it's like, okay, post-work business crowd. If I do a bit of Mary Poppins... Everybody loves a bit of Mary Poppins. Um, so that kind of, it's funny how, again, I mentioned earlier on about fate um, and kind of paths aligning and things coming together. Just grateful for the fact that all those kind of skills and things I've learned over the years has has come together into to my niche that I'd like to think I'm, yeah, I'm good at. And yeah, as I said, I've made a living out of for certainly the last six years. yeah. It's it's a great way to look at things, actually, because, so, you know, so much of being a, a musician is comparing yourself to what other people are doing and what they're good at and thinking, oh, I need to learn more of that. I need to be able to do this. But actually just, you know, and obviously, as you say, with hindsight, it's much easier. But 
being able to to find where you actually fit in that in that bigger picture and and it's great to be inspired by people and people's career paths um and yeah as a young aspiring md i knew the mds that i liked and and what they'd been doing and where they trained or or kind of their backgrounds as well um but yeah be find yourself Mm. be yourself don't try to be someone else um, then that not only applies to work, that applies to life as well. Yeah. If one thing I've learned through finding myself and yeah, walking down Tunbridge High Street in dressed as a 1930s gent or with a, with that waxed handlebar moustache is life's too short to be someone else. Be yourself um, and true to yourself. Um, and yeah, I found so much kind of solace and comfort in that um, that yeah, I... I can't believe it took me so long to realise. Mm. You may have already, you may have just answered this question, but do you have uh, a single piece of advice for people who are starting out in, in a music career? It's funny, actually, listening to some of your earlier podcasts, um, I think it's come up a few times in different, in different formats. So if I'm, allowed, if I'm allowed to say a mild swear word... Of course. Can I say, don't, don't be a twat? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we need it on a T-shirt. Can we, can we make a special, like... <laughs> Uh, can get some like, meeting like, Muso's merchandise. That's that's the uh, plan. I have to say, I've sold that many mugs, tea towels, tote bags, and stuff over the last. <laughs> you need some merch. You definitely need some merch. Um, but yeah, don't be a twat. It's all this business is so. If there's one thing I learned very early on, is it's a very very small world. It's a very small industry, especially okay. Uh, the London the London network and the touring network of are, are, are different beasts. And the crossing over does happen, but it's it's a hard it's a hard. I never really made that leap across, um, but it's a very small world. People talk, and it's the same with same with actors. If you work with an actor on a job who doesn't pull their weight or doesn't do a great job, chances are you're going to see them in an audition. They're going to come into an audition with you, or someone's going to give you a call and say, "Okay, I've just seen this person in an audition." not sure about them have you worked you've worked with them though haven't you and you can give your opinion yeah so it's a very small world so it's all about being being true to yourself being you being a nice person and getting on and doing the job that's what it's about isn't it getting on and doing the job and doing the job to the best of your ability not letting it slip you are only as good as your last gig yeah um you can't it's it's hard especially in the theater world where I always liken it to being kind of like um, a box factory, especially on a long runner. Every night that box is produced, the same box. It's taped together in the same way. It's the same size. It might be slightly offset or the, or the, the top of it might not come together, but it's the same box. And you need to do everything you can to give that performance, to make that box the same because the audience are expecting to see that. So uh, it takes a certain type of person to play a show 12 shows a week or eight shows a week, or um, especially on the road. So, um, yeah, it's... Uh, don't be a twat. <laughs> <laughs> Great advice. That's the sound bite right there. <laughs> um, and finally, Tom, where can, where can people find you and find details of your work online if they want to keep up with you? 
Well, uh, my name is quite quite recognisable, Tom Carradine, C-A-R-R-A-D-I-N-E. Though don't, of course, Google me and think that I am uh, David Carradine, Kung Fu uh, son. Google says that I am, I'm not. <laughs> don't never trust what Google says. But yeah, you can find me um, uh, at Tom Carradine, sorry, TomCarradine.com or Carradine's Cockney Singalong.co.uk um, or... Um, I think I've lost my Instagram mojo about six months ago, so I'm not so active on Instagram at the moment, though that that kind of is all about my passion for vintage clothing as much as anything. So that's at Tom Carradine. I'm on Twitter, as everybody is, and uh, on Facebook as well, uh, Tom Carradine. Amazing. Um, I've not had the pleasure of attending one of your uh, live sing-alongs, but as soon as we're able to, I, I would love to get along to one. I've seen a lot of the footage of it on your website, and it just looks like... A top night out so um I, I, it beats working for a living <laughs> i hope you can get back to it as soon as possible and um i hope to get along to one of them as well tom thank you so much for taking the time to do this it's been a real treat to to chat to you my absolute pleasure mm-hmm.